This event was recorded live at the 2011 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Well, good morning, everybody, and a very warm, if a bit damp, welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. Now, I can't believe it's nearly 30 years, that's how old I am, uh, that I stood on the stage in here for the very first book festival in 1983. And it was only meant to be a one-off, but it became so successful, we now have it every year. But now, I can enjoy myself. I don't have to worry and rush back and forwards to see about missing authors and all the rest of it. Uh, I can enjoy myself, and I can introduce my very favourite authors. Now, this morning, Cathy Cassidy, we go back right to the beginning, don't we, Cathy? Because in, oh, nine years ago, we met in a very posh cafe, not, called Pancho's in Carlisle. And Cathy had just signed uh, her first, she just got her first book out, Dizzy. And this was, I think, one of the first interviews, wasn't it? And from then onwards, she went mega. She's written all these wonderful, wonderful books that all you people just love. She's a fantastic website. Uh, she's a wonder. Uh, I would like to wave her next book at you, but the copies are stopped, embargoed until half past eleven, so you'll just have to control yourself till then. Meanwhile, I can wave you this one, Cherry Crush, but Marshmallow Sky will be available after Cathy's event because it's not really out till September, but you're very lucky because you can get the chance to buy the very first copies hot off the press. So please, will you give a very warm welcome to Cathy Cassidy. Thank you very, very much for coming along this morning. It's brilliant, brilliant to see you. Um, it's very, very exciting for me because as usual at Edinburgh Book Festival time, I have a brand new book to talk about. And as Val explained in her lovely intro, um, this really is going to be the very first chance that you have to get hold of this book. I went into the bookshop here this morning to try and buy a copy so that I would have something to read from. And I still had to argue to actually get a copy because they were saying, but it's 11.30. So, so, you know, it's very, very exciting. And for me to actually have a brand new book in my hand, I still, even after all this time, I kind of find it really thrilling. It's, it's a big, exciting thrill to actually get your hands on a book because it's the daydream turned into a real live book. So it's special that you've come all the way here to actually share that first event about Marshmallow Sky with me. Can I ask if anybody's come from outside of Edinburgh today? Has anyone made a bit of a trek? That's brilliant. I'm just being very cheeky. Anybody come from outside of Scotland? I know people might be on holiday. Brilliant. Fantastic. Okay. And can I do another quick check as well and see if there's anybody who's ever heard me talk before or been to Edinburgh, one of my Edinburgh Book Festival? That's fantastic too because it makes me feel I'm with friends. So very, very big thank you for coming back again. Um, and I'll try not to, I'll try to kind of make some of the talk a little bit different for you. But that is very, very special to me. Now, one of the things, uh, there's lots and lots of things that I talk about in a book event, and I've got lots of um, slides and PowerPoint things to show you as well. And I obviously want to read you a little bit from Marshmallow Sky as well. But um, I wanted to talk particularly today about inspiration, because kids will often ask me when I'm out and about doing school visits um, or book festivals, 
One of the questions that often is, is asked, and there will be lots of time for you to ask questions later on as well if you want to, but one of the commonly asked things is, um, where do you get your ideas? Where does inspiration come from? And probably all authors would have a similar kind of answer. Inspiration actually isn't in short supply. It's almost everywhere. It's all around us all of the time. And the trick is really to tune into it and to try and be aware of what's happening around you and to look for those ideas and grab them and refuse to let them escape. So it's, it's just really about you tuning into what's out there and grabbing onto those ideas before they have a chance to escape from you. But sometimes, um, that would usually be my answer, but sometimes there's another kind of answer that I might give to that question, and that is um, that sometimes just writing for your age group is actually very inspiring because um, I suppose, what's the reason? Why do I write for, for kind of nine to 14 year olds? Because I think it's the most fascinating age group of all. Uh, my readers, I obviously, I'm a little bit biased, but I think my readers are the best readers ever because um, you kind of know you are. But also, also, you are at the most exciting and inspiring age. You're not children anymore, but you're not quite adults either. You're just on the edge of everything, and everything is still possible. And that's the reason that I love writing for teens and preteens, because you have everything to play for, and it's, it's just a fascinating kind of an age. Sometimes, too, though, from my readers, um, I, I will meet people who are particularly inspiring. Sometimes you just meet them by email, or, or via the website, or via the Facebook fan page. Sometimes you're lucky enough to meet those people in real life. Um, and a couple, there's a couple of people here today, um, one, one reader in particular, a girl called Shannon, who has been a very inspiring person for me over the years. One of the things, one of the things that's so lovely, I think, about being an author is that you get, these days, to have fantastic feedback from your readers. You get to know, you get a bit of give and take, a bit of kind of communication going on between reader and author. And just by coincidence, over maybe about three years ago, I met a girl called Shannon, who I found, have found over those few years to be very inspiring. She, Shannon had a big fight on her hands, a big challenge to face in life, and she faced it with courage and strength and determination, making her somebody that I was very, very proud to know. And also, also somebody who has a lot of thought for other people, a lot of ideas and time for other people, so to give a lot back, okay? Um, and Shannon also has a little brother. Little brother, little brothers sometimes can be a bit of a pain, can't they? Who's got a little brother? <laughs> Hands up if the little brother's a pain. <laughs> okay, my little brother's not really a pain anymore, have to say that, even though he's not here, because, you know, he might find out. But um, little brothers can be awkward when you're growing up, but Shannon's little brother is a bit of a star. He kind of goes to prove that little brothers can actually be heroes. Um, one of the things that was so inspiring about Shannon, and um, because I thought she was fantastic, I created a page on my website, a special section of the website inspired by her, and that page is called the Secret Superfan page. And she and her brother were the very first people to, to feature on it. And Shannon and Ross, fantastic. Ross actually gave his sister a bone marrow transplant last year, and that was why I thought they were so amazing and inspiring. But lots of my readers since then have featured on the Secret Superfan page. Anybody, anybody here at all could, could be on that page at some point. Sometimes it changes every month and we'll give challenges out, or sometimes people will write in and say, well, I did this or I'm doing that. 
or they've made something or done something that just grabs my imagination. And those readers can go onto the Superfan page and feature and hopefully spread the inspiration a little bit further and inspire other people as well. So um, special thank you to Shannon and Ross for inspiring that section of the website. And if you haven't been on the secret Superfan page on the website yet, you actually need a special password to do that. And the password you'll find in the newsletter. So if you haven't signed up for the email newsletter yet, the clue to the password is in every issue. So make sure you do that. It's a free email newsletter and there's a paper newsletter as well. And um, those is basically lots of competitions, extras, you know, all sorts of stuff that you might need to know about. But also it'll help you get onto the secret super fan page. So let's hope that all of us can can kind of start thinking of other people and start thinking of inspiration as well. And it was through Shannon that I met a very inspiring lady called Lynn McNichol, who's also here today. And those of you in particular who are Edinburgh-based or who live in Scotland might already know about her fantastic charity, It's Good to Give, who raise money for children with cancer and their families. And um, if you maybe Google It's Good to Give and perhaps give some support to Lynn, as well. She was very kind and asked if I would be a patron of her charity and I think it's the best cause I can possibly think of. So that's my kind of soapboxy bit for the day. That's uh, fabulous. But hopefully some of you will be able to take that inspiration idea and maybe work from there. Now then, I'm going to show you where my inspiration starts moving from. Okay, The idea can come from anywhere. What you do with it once you have the idea can be the tricky bit. And I'm not very good. My children, who are kind of big teenagers now, claim that they can only work when there's loud music going on. And, you know, maybe their iPods are in and perhaps, you know, perhaps there's lots of distraction if the telly's on in the background. That's even better. That really helps them with their homework. I'm not convinced about that because for me, it's kind of the opposite. I need everything to be quiet. I need a little bit of space to think and space to dream. And so for me, because I have those two big teenagers flumping through the house, because they're very into their music, both playing it and um, creating it themselves, I had to get a shed in the garden. So this is my writing shed. It's a very pretty shed, luckily, so it, it doesn't feel like being banished to the end of the garden. Um, it doesn't have internet, which is fantastic, so that means no distraction. Um, and it's got all of my favourite things inside. So that's where I go to write. I usually write these days on a laptop and I'll take my laptop wherever I go. So it's, it's with me in Edinburgh this weekend. But um, you can see in the shot the, the place that I write and also a couple of kids from a local school who've come to just ask questions and find out about, about um, the new book. And also you kind of get, you get ideas and inspiration from meeting young people as well. But that's where I work. Um, and I talked a bit about giving yourself space to dream. And my favorite way of actually developing a story or allowing a story to unfold in my imagination is by daydreaming. And this is my favorite daydreaming space of all. It's a teepee in my garden. I luckily have a big garden. I do live in the middle of nowhere in the countryside in Scotland. So um, this is my favorite dreaming place because it's, it's a beautiful space, both for friends and, again, kids from a local school who've, who've uh, come to interview me in that, in that space. Great place for parties, too. But when you're there on your own, everything's quiet, everything's lovely, and you just have that space and time 
to let ideas unfold, to let them take shape in your imagination. Who likes to daydream here? Is anybody a daydreamer? That's good. Does anybody daydream in school time? I used to, both as a pupil and a teacher, I'm afraid. Um, anybody ever been in trouble for daydreaming? Oh, yeah, happens a lot. Okay, now that was the story of my school career. I, I often daydreamed, especially in maths and science class. Apologies to any maths and science teachers who may be present. Um, and I didn't really mean it. I didn't plan to be disruptive or to cause trouble or to skive. But I would often find that my mind would just drift off in a certain direction. And usually, to me, the daydream was about inventing stories, inventing ideas and plots in my mind something that might be a little bit more interesting than the square root of whatever it happened to be. Um, so that was really, for me, the way that stories began to unroll in my head from a very, very early age. And it still is the same. For me, daydreaming, I think, is not something that should be stamped out at schools. It's something that actually could be encouraged, that could maybe even go onto the school timetable. Can you imagine if that happened? Who thinks that daydreaming should go on to the school timetable? Yes! Mr. Cameron, are you listening? I think the whole country would benefit from this. Seriously, I'm not joking. It's, it's, um, it's really a way of valuing your imagination and of valuing creativity. And it, it's the kind of thing that, if we encouraged it, could feed into every single subject right across the curriculum. So it's not, it's not a joke. I'm not encouraging you to skive. I'm not saying it because it might irritate the odd adult present. That's really not what it's about. It's about celebrating our fantastic imaginations and our creative minds. And if you think about it, there's no discovery, no exploration, no breakthrough, no scientific experiment, no creative enterprise, no piece of art or music or whatever it might be, literature, that didn't have a daydream that went ahead of it to create the way. Daydreams are all about us visualizing the things that we want to happen. And without that visualization and that picture of what you would like to create, there'll be no end result. So we need to value daydreaming rather than stamp it out. We need to encourage it. And maybe one day we'll see a scenario where every school across the country has its own little daydreaming space, a daydreaming classroom with nice thick carpets and fluffy cushions and bean bags, where the teacher would come in with trays of fresh fruit smoothies and chocolate chip cookies. And in that lesson, all you need to do is switch off the front part of your mind, the bit that deals with all the logical everyday stuff. And when you do that, you kind of, it frees up your mind. Random, unexpected, imaginative, creative ideas get the chance to come forward. And after a couple of daydreaming lessons, I guarantee you would have the most amazing ideas, perhaps for stories, perhaps for poetry, song lyrics, pieces of music, a painting, a sculpture, a dress design. It really doesn't matter. It might just be a recipe for the best chocolate fudge cake in the universe. But daydreaming time is never wasted time. And that, I know that's a fact. It's kind of the way that all of my stories start out. So daydreaming, if, if there's a secret to writing, that, that really is um, my secret, if, if it's a secret. And now I'm spreading the word. So let's get the daydreaming thing to catch on. And if there are any teachers present here, perhaps those teachers could take that idea back to their schools and maybe sell it to the head teachers and say, we need 
daydreaming time in our school and maybe call it something fancy like creative visualization instead of daydreaming because <laughs> that might fool the head teachers and maybe you might just get away with it. Um, and failing that, if you don't manage to get it onto the timetable in your school, the next best thing is to do it in secret. And if anybody here is interested, and I wouldn't dare to say it in public because I bet there are a few teachers present. Have we got any teachers here? Uh-huh, knew it. Okay, I do have three fail-safe daydreaming tips, which I'd be happy to pass on to you, but I'm not going to do it in public for the reasons that I've just seen. You know, um, we need secrecy here, but if you care to email me through any of the website links, um, so email me through any of the, the links at kathycassidy.com, I will be happy to pass those daydreaming tips on. You just need to say, I saw you at Edinburgh today, can I have the daydreaming tips? And um, this slide, I suppose the TP which we bought because the teepee, well, teepees appear in my very first book, Dizzy, the one that Val mentioned, um, it, which has a bit of a festival theme. And my husband had also had a bit of a fixation on cowboys and Indians films as a child. So that was, that was why it arrived. But it's basically the best daydreaming space ever. And um, that was kind of one of the reasons for doing it. Okay. In this shot, you can see... This is not where I live, okay? Lots, I'm lucky to be able to have kids from local schools and so on come to visit me um, in the teepee or the writing shed, but the rest of the time I like to go out and meet my readers at book festivals um, and school visits, library events all the way around Britain and beyond. And in the top right-hand corner, you can see that was a trip to Beijing last year, which was very exciting. But it's important to me to get that feedback from readers. One, because it's inspiring, as you, as you kind of have heard already. And two, because um, it, it helps to keep me in touch with my readers, who I think that's very, very important. I find out what's important to you, and it, it helps with the stories. It helps a lot. I guess that friendship is a very big thread, a very big theme in all of the books that I write, and that's something that's come directly from my readers. I know how much you care about keeping friendship strong. Um, so basically, I'm always listening and if you can't meet me and talk to me in person you can email me at the website and hopefully put your views across. Now this shot um, I'll explain a little bit. People ask me how did you get into writing? What did you do? Did you go to university and study how to be a writer? And I didn't do that. I had a different path. Um, back in the days um, when I was growing up, I don't think there were any university courses in, in creative writing. If there were I'd never come across them. And um, basically, the way that I learned was by writing, and that is the best way to learn, in a way, whether you go to university to study the subject or not. If you want to be a writer, and I'm guessing there might be a few people here who have dreams of writing, you need to write, okay? Not just in school, not just because your teacher tells you to, but because you want to, because you love it, because you can't help it. So all the way through my teens, I was writing stories and sending them off to a magazine called Jackie Mag, which... Probably a lot of the kids here don't know, but some of the parents, I think, might just remember. And Jackie Magazine were, basically was a fantastic training for me because every week I would send a story off. Every week or two later, several weeks later, I would get a letter back saying, Dear Cathy, very sorry, your story is not suitable for Jackie Magazine. However, if you have any other stories, we would love to see them. This went on and on and on. Not just for weeks, not just for months, but for years and years and years. From the age of about 12, right the way through to when I was 16, 
Um, I was persecuting Jackie magazine with endless stories. Um, literally hundreds and hundreds of them went off through the post and every single one came back. Some of them got quite close to being published, but not one of them ever did. And then when I was 16, a different magazine published something I'd written and that felt like the most amazing thing ever, kind of step one along the way to becoming a published author and the most fantastic feeling. So I suppose the key is persevere, don't give up and hang on to your dreams. Very, very important to do that. And I know that a lot of teen magazines these days don't actually publish short stories, which is a problem, I think, for any of you who might want to do the same thing. And that's one of the reasons that I have a writing competition on my website all of the time. So check out kathycassidy.com, go to the page called Writer's Workshop and you'll find my writing competition. It's just a way of giving people something to aim for because it helps to be able to tailor your work towards a, a kind of end if you want one day to get published. So um, I ended up going off to art college and I studied to be an illustrator, which might sound a little bit odd, but you kind of, you know, you can tell a story with pictures and just the way that you can paint a picture with words. So that didn't seem like a contradiction to me at the time and I loved that. Um, and then after college, I looked around for a job and I wrote lots of letters to places I thought I'd like to work. One of them went to Jackie magazine and I got interviewed and landed up with a job as office junior on the magazine I'd pestered all the way through my teens. And obviously when you start at the bottom in any job, you make the tea and the coffee, you kind of answer the phone, do the photocopying. Um, but I worked my way up until I became the fiction editor on Jackie magazine, which was the best training ever for the job that I've gone on to do now. And if anybody's interested in a career in, in journalism, I would say go for it. It's really exciting, really interesting, a great way of getting your words out there and learning a lot at the same time. But if you can't do that, here's a challenge. Maybe start your own magazine. At the moment, um, I don't think there's the perfect teen magazine on the shelves for you guys, but maybe the perfect teen magazine or preteen magazine is in your imagination. Maybe it's something that you could create when you get back to school after the holidays. Maybe put some posters up, see who else in your school might be interested in taking part and try and come up with something. I reckon you could do an amazing job. And if you're a daydreamer, you have a head start because all of those ideas are just waiting to burst out. Three girls I met um, in early summer last year from a school in Bigger who um, I'd been talking to them about books and so on. I'd given this challenge out. These three girls were in P7. They ran up to me and said, we'd really like to do this, but you know, it's summer holidays. We're going to be heading off to high school afterwards. What do we do? Um, maybe we should, and I, I told them perhaps the best idea would be to leave the magazine idea until after the summer holidays and try it at their new school. And they were way too impatient for that. They did it in the school holidays under their own steam and sent me the result. Everything from cover shots, fashion shots, um, recipes and interviews. So you can do it if they can do it and I bet your magazine could be even better. Um, moving on to the series that I want to tell you about. Marshmallow Sky is number two in a series called The Chocolate Box Girls. This is a picture of me probably about 18 months ago, two years ago, starting to do the research for The Chocolate Box Girls. Most of the series is set in Somerset. Um, in a place that I used to work long ago. So this is me checking whether it's all the way that I remembered it, making notes, doing a few drawings. Um, 
I had to do a few other things as well. I kind of changed the name of the village and so on, but it is a real place. A couple of people have managed to identify it. And then for Marshmallow Sky, um, specific research towards this particular book, the, the series as a whole, it's about five sisters. There are actually there are four sisters um, in the Tanbury family and a girl called Cherry Costello joins the family as a stepsister, so they become one big step family. And the Tanbury girls, their mum is called Charlotte, and Cherry's dad is called Paddy, and there's going to be a wedding between Charlotte and Paddy in book three. Um, so really the idea for my series was about bringing all of these different characters together and seeing how they would get on, how they would face the challenges of step-family life and all the ups and downs and different things that might challenge them. And in the stories, it's, it's um, in Cherry Crush, the first book, Cherry, who joins the family from Glasgow with her dad, gets on so badly with her big stepsister, Honey, that she is, ends up having to sleep in a gypsy caravan in the garden of their lovely house in Somerset because um, Honey refuses to share a room with her. And in the second book, this book, Marshmallow Sky, which is the story of the sister called Sky Tanberry, um, the gypsy caravan is even more important. Now, I loved getting feedback from readers of Cherry Crush saying that they loved the idea of the whole gypsy caravan idea. They really liked um, that image. And I thought I'd show you, because we were talking a little bit about inspiration and where ideas come from, where the idea of the gypsy caravan came from, because this is the gypsy caravan in the slide that actually gave me the idea for putting um, a gypsy caravan into the story. In the slide you can see me, this is, photo was taken about six weeks ago when I did an event in Bantry in West Cork, and my lovely friend Karen lives near Bantry, and um, for quite a while she's had this amazing bowtop wagon in her garden, somebody gave her. And um, several times over the last few years, I've been lucky enough to be able to stay at Karen's and sleep in the Bowtop Wagon. And it's, it's the most amazing place, it's magic. You know, your dreams are just full of, full of fantastic possibilities when you sleep in a place like that. And you wake up and anything seems possible. And the very first time I slept in the Bowtop Wagon, I said to Karen, I'm definitely gonna put your caravan into a story. And she said, hmm, maybe. And this time I was able to go back and actually give her a copy of Cherry Crush and show her the pictures of the caravan and show her how that had actually become part of the series. Um, and in, in Marshmallow Sky, we actually find out a little bit, perhaps, or there are some hints of where the caravan might have come from that's, that's in the story. Because as far as we know, it's just in their garden. It's a pretty place for someone to sleep from time to time. But we're finding out a little bit more about the story of the caravan because probably for quite a while, my readers have been saying to me, would you ever write a slightly spooky story? Would you ever write a ghost story? And I always thought, no way, not really interested in writing a ghost story because that's not what I do. I like to write realistic stories about feelings. And then I started writing Marshmallow Sky and I discovered that it actually was a little bit of a spooky story, a little bit of a ghost story. Now, don't panic. It's not so scary that you're going to have to hide behind the sofa or anything. It's not like that. But there is a little hint of something otherworldly going on there and a lot of stuff from the past in the story. And at the very beginning of the story, Skye, who, who is a girl who loves history and loves, loves old clothes and vintage, she finds a trunk full of old dresses she finds um, a bundle of old love letters and 
a musical instrument from the past, all sorts of things, which end up becoming clues to a story, a love story from long ago. So it's almost as though she has a bit of a mystery to unravel. And although Skye is quite a sensible girl and doesn't believe in ghosts in any way at all, she finds herself dreaming of a boy that seemed to live a long time ago and perhaps falling for somebody who might just be a ghost. So that's kind of, I, lo I loved the idea of, of maybe dreaming of someone who, who wasn't real or who perhaps had lived long, long ago. And that was um, some of the ideas from, from the story that kind of began to unravel into Marshmallow Sky. Now, again, um, this is really my story plan for, for the book. Not the kind of thing your teachers would really be wanting if you were handing a story plan in at school. I wouldn't advise doodling across your sheet you know, of your, of your exercise books. But for me, that's what works. I need a title. And usually the title comes first, but I bet you anything, a lot of you thought that the book was called something different for a while. If you've read Cherry Crush, you may have thought that the next book was Vanilla Sky, and it was for me for quite a long time. There is a snag when you have the title first, because occasionally, and it happened to me this time, when you're writing the story, the story just moves off in a slightly different direction, and that's what happened to me with this. So at the last minute, we changed the title because Marshmallow Sky fits the story much, much better. So um, here we've got my, my kind of version of what Sky in the story looks like. There's a picture of marshmallow flowers. There's a little bird, not very well drawn. I put the top there. Um, there's a lot of bird imagery going through the book, and there's a boy called Finch. Um, who's very, very important. Now, Skye is also a twin, and her twin sister is called Summer, and that is also an important thread in the story. When I was your age, I kind of loved the idea of having a sister who might be a twin, a kind of, kind of best friend and sister rolled into one. Is there any, are there any twins in the audience today? Yes, fantastic. Um, I think I'm going to read you a chapter from... Marshmallow Sky. And I was wondering, because I've only just got my hands on this book this morning, I wasn't really sure which chapter to read. But I thought, because I knew that Shannon and her mum were going to be in the audience, I had a feeling that I might choose this particular chapter. I'm going to read you chapter six, where Sky is in a history lesson at school. And it's again kind of going back to where ideas come from and where inspiration comes from. Because about two or three years ago, I was um, actually sitting in a cafe in Edinburgh with Shannon um, and a friend of hers, and we were talking about inspiration, ideas, and school, and whether she had any strange teachers, and whether she had any funny stories from school, and that was just basically, we were just chatting about strange things that might happen at school. And although usually I don't get ideas from things like that, one particular thing that she said stuck in my mind, and it was something that I think it was a story her dad had told her about a rucksack um, being thrown across the classroom. And that, that somehow lodged itself in my mind, and I decided, well, I didn't decide, because often you don't. This rucksack incident w worked its way into the story and became something that happened in Marshmallow Sky. So I'm going to read you this, this chapter, um, and that's really where the idea came from, and it would be quite interesting. Um, the way that this happens is very different from the story that I was told, but it's quite interesting when you daydream about something, how an idea can change and turn into something completely different. So um, 
Okay, Sky telling the story. She's in a history lesson at school, and um, her twin sister, Summer, will also be in the lesson, and also a very annoying boy called Alfie Anderson, who they've both been friends with for a very long time. Now, um, at this point in the story, Sky is already has already had a couple of dreams about a very a very sort of interesting gypsy caravan type past that seems to be it, that she's not quite sure whether there's some kind of dream or some kind of memory. Um, and she's also found out that the trunk of clothes that she discovered in the attic belonged to a long lost relation called Clara Travers, who seemed to um, who had a very sad kind of sad love story gone wrong. So she's just finding a little bit about that um, and seeing, you know, it's just beginning to filter down in her mind. So this is what happens in her history lesson. I don't say any more to Summer about my dream, although I'm still thinking about it all the way to school. First period is history. Mr. Wolf is new at Exmoor Park Middle School and everyone thinks he's wired to the moon. He wears tweed jackets with elbow patches and corduroy trousers in beige or mustard yellow. And he always smells faintly of toast. He looks like he might be better suited to a career at Hogwarts or perhaps as an extra in a horror movie featuring werewolves. No wonder Alfie Anderson likes to tease him. I think history is cool. It's all about stories, about how the past shapes the present and the future, and I've loved it ever since I can remember. Back in year four, I got a gold star for my Egyptian project, which involved trying to mummify a Barbie doll with lengths of toilet roll in front of the entire class. Awesome, Sky, Alfie had said. I think he liked the bit where I told the class how those ancient Egyptians used to remove the mummy's brains by dragging them out through the nostrils with a hook. Boys are kind of bloodthirsty for stories like that. I think I prefer the Clara Travers kind of history. Doomed love stories and amazing clothes. But even though I love history, I am not at all sure about Mr. Wolf. I can't help feeling sorry for him though. Today he is late coming to class and Alfie has set up a practical joke. As the new history teacher walks into the room, a waste paper basket balanced on top of the slightly open door topples down on him, showering him with scrunched up paper. He peers at us through his horn-rimmed glasses. Amusing, he says. Do you know something, class? History is full of unpredictable events, but we can learn from them. They teach us to expect the unexpected. Mr. Wolf whips the chair out from under his desk suddenly as if expecting to see a whoopee cushion or a drawing pin blue tacked to the seat. Nothing. He checks under the table, sifts through the papers on his desk and squints at the whiteboard as if checking for traps. See, he proclaims, history teaches us to be prepared. Not quite prepared enough, alas. Mr. Wolf is forgetting one very important lesson. History repeats itself. I cannot bear to watch. Sir, I say, waving my hand in the air, but Mr. Wolf just smiles and tells me to wait a moment. He steps into the stock cupboard to fetch our textbooks, and that's when Alfie Anderson's rucksack, balanced all that time on the top of the stock cupboard door, crashes down on top of him, 
knocking his glasses to the floor. The whole class just about fall off their chairs laughing. History didn't teach you to expect that, sir, Alfie snorts. Mr. Wolf turns a strange shade of crimson. He picks up the rucksack, which is extra heavy because Alfie has stuffed it with history textbooks to give it more oomph. His hands shake a little as he does this, and so does his voice. Alfie Anderson, is this your rucksack? He asks. Yes, sir, Alfie says. I wonder how it got over there. I think what happens next is partly Alfie's fault for pushing Mr. Wolf too far. It is also partly Mr. Wolf's fault for losing his temper and not pausing to pick up his glasses from the floor. You could even say part of the blame rests with Mr. King, the head teacher, for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. That is how history works, though. It's all about cause and effect, but there is a lot of luck involved. Mr. Wolf hurls the rucksack through the air at Alfie and it misses completely and flies right through the window, shattering glass all over the classroom. There's a squeal of brakes from outside and an outraged yell. What the devil is going on up there? A familiar voice roars. It is very unlucky indeed that the head teacher happened to be parking his car beneath the window at that exact moment. A few of us sitting near the window watch as the rucksack bounces off the roof of Mr. King's new Skoda Fabia, denting it slightly, then slides to the ground, knocking off a wing mirror on the way. Whoa, Alfie says, nice shot, sir. But Mr. Wolf sinks down on his chair and puts his head in his hands, and this time, nobody laughs at all. Alfie, I hiss, what have you done? What have I done? Alfie echoes, all innocent. I didn't break the window. Alfie, I growl, this is not funny. He could lose his job over this. Do something or, or your history, Summer says crisply from across the aisle. A few moments later, the classroom door bursts open and Mr. King storms in, carrying the rucksack. He is purple with fury. Mr. Wolf, he roars, what is going on? How did this happen? The history teacher stands up, squaring his shoulders and raking a hand through his hair, but it is Alfie who speaks. It was me, sir, he says, calmly and clearly. I was messing around and Mr. Wolf told me to stop and it was an accident, sir, but I was to blame. He hangs his head and for the first time in living memory, I feel the tiniest bit of sympathy for Alfie Anderson. My office now, Alfie, Mr. King says. I will send the janitor over to clean up the broken glass. Mr. Wolf, take your class down to the library until this mess has been cleared up. The door closes and Mr. Wolf faces the class, slightly shell-shocked. Is, is anybody hurt? He asks. No, sir. That's something at least, he says. Well, as you can see, history is happening all around us all the time. Some events stay in our minds and memories forever, and I have a feeling that was one of them. Too right, Millie mutters beside me. Sometimes, though, you don't always get the full picture, Mr. Wolf frowns. History isn't always what it seems, and it's all too easy to get the wrong idea. You have to piece together the clues to make sense of it all. I blink. Suddenly, Mr. Wolf is not so much werewolf as a wise history guru whose words make me catch my breath. 
What he says about clues makes me think about Clara Travers. Maybe I could find out more about her, piece together her story if I can just find some more clues. The dream is still vivid in my mind, as if I actually did slip back in time and see the world through Clara's eyes for a moment. My heart beats hard at the thought of it. Does that make it not so much a dream, but more of a kind of haunting? I frown, shaking the idea out of my head. I'd better set the record straight, Mr. Wolf sighs. History likes a hero, but I can't let Alfie take the blame for this. Go along to the library, year eight. I will see the head and get this sorted out. So, yeah. History. It's never boring, or at least not for long. So there we go. A little taste. Now, I want to... Um, now, things get kind of a lot more complicated from there. And the history, the, the kind of story from the past takes over a little bit. Skye finds herself falling in love with someone who may or may not have existed and feeling really a little bit isolated and, and lost. So uh, hopefully you're going to enjoy the story. I think I did this last year, forgive me, but any of you who've had the hardback version of Cherry Crush, these are my favourite covers in the world. Just wanted to show you, because it makes me smile, the secret cover inside of Marshmallow Sky. I love that. I love that you can choose the book and then decide whether you want the blue cover or the pink cover. Now then, any of um, my younger readers might enjoy reading the Daisy Star series about a character called Daisy who's ten and three quarters. The book on the right, Strike a Pose, Daisy Star, um, is all about Daisy trying to, well, in all of the books really, she's trying to discover her secret star quality. And in Strike a Pose, Daisy Star, she decides she could be the first preteen supermodel. I wonder if anyone here has ever wanted to be the first preteen supermodel. Maybe. And there are a few competitions on the website, on the secret fan page, and through the newsletter at the moment for people to send in pictures of them striking a pose or with their friends. And that's the theme that hopefully we'll carry on with all the way through the autumn. So. Um, Maybe you get a chance to do a little bit of a strike a pose thing as well, but I think you'd all like these. I, I was interested when I wrote these, they're kind of aimed at seven to 11 age group, but a lot of my older readers really love these books too. They're a little bit lighter, a little bit um, of a funnier read than my usual stories, so definitely check them out. Just a quick mention for two non-fiction titles, um, a kind of Dreams and Doodles Day book on the right to help you evolve your own ideas for stories perhaps, and also keep a little bit of regular diary type writing going and on the left letters to Kathy a book based on my time as a freelance agony aunt for shout magazine so um, all the time I used to do that job I I kind of wished that somebody would write a book to help sort out all the emotional stuff that girls go through and um, the same questions coming again and again at me um, as I was an agony aunt and nobody, nobody would have really published a book from me at that particular time the minute I wrote the fiction books it was possible to write the book that I'd always wanted to refer to as an agony ant. So it's based really on emails and letters that my readers have sent me asking about basic problems um, that they've come across growing up. And it's, it's not a puberty book, it's a book about feelings, about emotions, about all of the stuff that growing up might throw at you. It's the kind of book I wish I'd had at the age of 10 or 11 to help me through those teen years. So a good one for the Christmas list, perhaps. Uh, Okay, quick look at the website. All sorts of stuff on there. You'll find the Writer's Workshop page. You'll find the super secret fan page. 
Um, find out about the Dream Team, loads and loads of competitions, and lots, lots more. You can also see quickly, um, all of my paperback books have had a, a kind of makeover in June, and they've all now got a completely different style of cover. Um, we've got photograph covers so that you can kind of imagine what the character in the story looks like. This has been really interesting for me because sometimes with some of the books, the characters are exactly the way that I pictured them. And in others, they're not quite the same, but I still quite like seeing those photo covers and imagining it kind of, it's, it's a bit like little, little extra bits of inspiration adding to your imagination and helping you to picture the character. Um, one thing I thought would be good though, with uh, having photos on the cover, it didn't always fit with the way I imagined. And um, I know certainly with, with the cover for Cherry Crush, we couldn't quite find a photograph that really looked the way I'd imagined Cherry to look in that book, although I do really like the cover that we've got for it. And I thought it would be good if we actually chose a real reader to go on the cover of um, Marshmallow Sky when it finally came out as, as a paperback. So just checking this. Yeah, we actually had a competition which we began in July, I think. It's all been quite quick, asking if anybody would like to enter a competition to possibly be on the cover of the paperback. And we wanted a real reader, somebody who was quite close to the way that I'd pictured that character to be. And we chose our winner, Grace, um, who had the kind of sandy blonde hair and wistful kind of expression. And these, these are just a couple of shots from, from the cover shoot that she did a couple of weeks ago. It's even less than a couple of weeks ago, really recently. So hopefully, um, Grace will be on the cover of the next paperback. And I'm really, it, it means a lot to me to actually have a real genuine live reader on the covers and not just a, a model shot. So that was quite special too. But all sorts of competitions um, on the website for you to just drop. Yeah, okay. And basically, from that point, I think maybe see if any of you have any nosy questions that you would like to know more about. Um, and we have a roving mic. Please don't be shy. Um, you can ask me anything about writing, about ideas, inspiration, about the books. Don't ask me anything about maths, because I have confessed that was my favorite daydreaming lesson. So anybody want to start off? Uh, when's Marshmallow's Gaia on paperback? Marshmallow Sky will be out in paperback, I think, I think it's going to be the 1st of April or 3rd of April, it's April I think, so it will be slightly earlier. Um, and the reason for that is that the book coming after is called Summer's Dream about Sky's twin Summer and it seemed really silly to us to have a, a book with the word Summer in the title that wasn't going to come out until September even though that's often when we get our summer in, in Scotland. However, we thought that book should really go out in July. So Summer's Dream, the next hardback, will actually be out in July. And we, the paperback for um, Marshmallow, Marshmallow Sky is actually going to be April. OK. Right. What order do the chocolate box girls come in? What order do the books come in? Right, the first one, Cherry Crush. Second one, Marshmallow Sky. The third one is Summer's Dream. That's next year's one. The one after that, I think, is going to be Honey Story. 
And at the moment, in my head, that's called Sweet Honey, but it might change. And the last one of all will be Coco's story, which will kind of tie all the loose ends up. Look out for real trouble in Honey's story, because any of you who've read Cherry Crush will know she is a bit of a handful. Okay. Okay, that's a really good question. Will I do any sequels to the books that are already written, the books in the backlist? Um, the, only, the only one at the moment that has a kind of a sequel is Dizzy, which has a sort of seven years on sequel in Lucky Star, um, because there was a character in Dizzy who didn't get a happy ending. Mouse definitely didn't get a happy ending in that book. So I picked his story up in Lucky Star and wrote a book all about him. And that was also a book from a boy's viewpoint. Um, by special request of lots of boy readers around the country. So um, apart from that, at the moment, there aren't any plans to write sequels to the other books. A lot of girls will write and ask, if, if you have a favorite book, kids will often say, please, can we hear more about it? I want to know what happened to Scarlet after that book. I want to know what happened to Indy after the end of Indigo Blue. But at the moment, to me, those, those books are, are finished. They were kind of a, you know, one-off stories. But that doesn't mean I won't ever do it. Very occasionally, kids will come up with an idea like, um, I've heard this lots of times, and I do quite like the idea, why don't you write a book where all of your characters are in it, and maybe they could all meet, maybe at a festival or... And I quite like that idea. I haven't... The trouble is, though, that the bigger... You know, the more books you write, the more complicated it would be to try and arrange a book where that could happen. But I do love the idea, because to me, I suppose, those characters feel quite real. And I love the idea that their paths might cross. And certainly in the earlier books, sometimes there are little hints that the characters might have crossed paths. You know, there's, there's um, little hints in Dizzy and Indigo and certainly in Scarlet that perhaps, you know, for example, I know Scarlet in, in that book, there's a, a bus shelter that's been graffitied um, near where she lives. And, and in my head, that might have been Mouse that did that and things like that. And sometimes there are also short stories. There's a short story about Mouse, which is kind of a follow-up story that some of those things come out in the mini books. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let's see if we can pass the mic across to you. What's your favourite book that you've written? Okay, this is the, the hardest question to answer today, I know, because right up until now it would have been Cherry Crush, but at the moment I can't even tell because I haven't had a chance to read all the way through this. And I have to read it as a real book. And literally, I have only, only got my hands on this just less than an hour ago. Um, but I get so excited when a book turns from a daydream that only I can see. It's in my mind. And then finally, it's on a laptop. And then it's kind of a big manuscript marked with pen and sort of all sorts of online edits. And then eventually, it turns into a real book. And this one was such an ordeal to get to this stage because of having the title change at the last moment. I was so, so late. It was a little bit past its deadline. Has any, anybody ever been late with homework here? <laughs> Few of you. Anybody ever been about four months late with homework? <laughs> Don't try that. Don't do it again, OK? It's not a good idea if you're, if you're a professional author because it's just not, okay? You can get into a lot of trouble. And I think 
you know, if I was here and I didn't have a book to talk to you about, that would be really awful. So try and, try and get your manuscripts in on time. I'm trying really hard to turn over a new leaf for the new book. What's your question? What was your inspiration for the Chocolate Box Girls series? Right. What was my inspiration for the Chocolate Box Girls series? I know it sounds a little bit obvious, but chocolate was a little bit of a theme and a little bit of an inspiration. I'm not sure if anyone here likes chocolate. Does anyone like chocolate? Anyone ever been inspired by chocolate? Um, I was talking earlier about how it's quite important to do research when you're writing a book. And you need to know about, it's a good piece of advice really for anybody who likes to write, know about what you're writing. So I thought, I know quite a lot about chocolate. I've done a lifetime of research into this subject. And I don't know if any, any of you have ever imagined what it would be like to have parents who had a chocolate business. I used to think that would be the best thing ever. I, lived, I grew up in the Midlands in Coventry and not very far away from Bourneville, um, which is where the Cadbury's kind of fantastic chocolate came from. And we used to hear about this mythical place where there was a whole village based around chocolate and you know, a factory that made the most amazing chocolate in the world. A bit like, you know, kind of Willy Wonka story in my imagination, all, all maybe happening just up the road from me in my head when I was little. Um, and I thought, wouldn't that be cool? So in Cherry Crush, Cherry, um, the main character in that story, her dad works in a chocolate factory in, in Glasgow. And uh, the, the, I think it's the tasty chocolate bars that he makes, not, you know, not kind of a very exciting or glamorous place. But he always has this dream of maybe creating his own special chocolates, luxury, gorgeous, wonderful ones, not, not kind of like boring biscuit-type chocolates that he has to do on the production line. And when he falls in love with Charlotte and, and moves south to um, kind of build a new life with his daughter and this whole new family, that's what they decide to do. They create a, a business together. And I thought that would be a great thing to do. You know, maybe I could, well... I would say maybe it would be a future career for me if I ever stopped writing, but I probably would just eat all of the profits, I'm afraid. <laughs> but I liked it. The chocolate idea gave me, gave me a bit of inspiration for that. And um, I knew a girl whose mum had been a chocolatier who had made chocolates for a living. And I, I used to ask her what it was like growing up in a house where chocolate was everywhere. It just sounded like my best dream ever. So, and, and also liked the idea of having the, the five sisters in this step family. Um, come together and the, the Tanbury sisters um, particularly are very quite glamorous and bohemian and I always imagined it would be so cool to to live in that way they have a fantastic kind of slightly crumbling house with a big garden gypsy caravan in the garden all near the beach in Somerset and that was just my dream kind of thing so in a way a bit of wish fulfillment in the story if you like okay where are we going next I'm really sorry, but we have to just wind up. Okay, now. sorry. Anyway, I'm sitting here with my <laughs> drooling when you're talking about chocolate. Before I thank Cathy, I just want to say she'll be going next door to the signing tent, and you can get your book signed there. But please remain seated till Cathy's gone, so that she's not crushed in the rush. Sounds exciting. Now, first of all, two amazing things this morning. The first one was... I think when you go out, you might actually see a bit of a golden ball in a blue sky <laughs> if you're very lucky. I've been watching the, that streak of sunlight. Oh, it's coming again. So rush out quickly while it's there. 
But the second is listening to Cathy. It's always a huge pleasure, and I can't wait to read that one. And will you please all put your hands together and a big thank you to Cathy Cassidy. More podcasts, videos and live recordings of author events can be found at www.edbookfest.co.uk.